sometimes entertaining content, please consult your investment professional, financial advisor, or better yet, speak to us before making any decisions discussed in today's presentation. And don't forget that this is a live presentation, so um, please log in and uh, and present some uh, questions to us along the way so we can answer them. Uh, and if you're listening to this at home, uh, please uh, feel free to head over to our webinar page uh, to uh, participate in that. So our presenters today include myself, Tim Fuller, a certified financial advisor who's worked with hundreds of clients over the years, helping to make the complex simple for companies such as AMP, Mercer and Independent Advisories. We also have David Llewellyn-Smith, co-author of The Great Crash of 2008 with Ross Garneau, founder of the internationally acclaimed Diplomat magazine and now chief editor of the enormously popular Macro Business blog. And finally, we've got Nucleus Wealth's head of investments, Damien Klassen, whose 25 years in the world of finance has seen him as founding partner and head of research at analyst firm Aegis Equities, head of quant strategy at Wilson HDM, and was responsible for mining energy and big data in the $60 billion global quant fund, or quant equity fund at Schroeder's. For more information, please see our people section at www.nucleuswealth.com. So today, we're, of course, we've got our next uh, instalment of Nucleus Insights, uh, and today's topic is, has the Australian dollar peaked? And uh, so I'll hand over to, uh, well, sorry, we'll just jump into just quickly our agenda for today. So what we're going to be looking at, of course, is the Australian dollar, uh, is it a fair or is there a fair value model that we can apply? Uh, the US dollar dynamics uh, and some discussion around that. And is there an upcoming year of two halves for the Australian dollar and uh, a little bit of evidence to support that this may be the case as well? So uh, on that note, I'll uh, hand over to David uh, if you'd like to kick us off with five, the first of five drivers. Uh, and, uh, of course, we're looking now at Australian and global growth. So take it away, David. Oh, thanks very much, T Tim. Uh, yeah, so at, at the MB Fund, we use a, a fair value model for the Aussie dollar that has five drivers uh, and I'll run through those quickly for you. Um, the first one is relative Australian and global growth rates. Uh, you know like the Australian dollar tends to rise when global growth is strong and the logic behind that being rising commodity prices. Uh, and the chart you can see here the trade weighted index versus the terms of trade. The terms of trade uh, captures those rising commodity prices versus import prices as a ratio. Uh, the trade weighted index is is the Aussie dollar plus inflation rates more or less and as you can see the relationship between the two is quite strong um, especially since the float. Uh, it's certainly you know very strong in trend terms although sometimes the um, degree of relationship can be influenced one way or another. Uh, but that's the first of our drivers, and it's it's one of the two of strongest. Uh, the second, and and equally strong, I think, uh, is relative interest rates, uh, and that is you know the gap between uh, the cash rate in Australia and other jurisdictions. In this case, we're looking at the U.S. dollar or the U.S. Uh, cash rate. Uh, as you can see from the chart. Um, during the mining boom, we had immense peaks where, you know, there was a huge 
uh, interest rate uplift in Australia versus the US. Uh, and you know that drove a lot of uh, capital into the Australian dollar to capture that yield, as well as the rising currency. But since 2011, when uh, the the boom peaked and started going bust, slowly but surely, um, that those uh, that that um, uplift is actually now completely inverted uh, over you know six years, uh, and we've now got across the curve uh, a negative yield in the Australian dollar that is you know for someone to to borrow in the US and and to buy Australian a- assets they they have to actually pay money um, so at the moment it's uh, roughly even on the 10 year it's about minus 20 basis points on the five year and it's minus sort of 14 or 15 basis points on the two if you go back in history and look at the chart on the left hand side where these um, relative interest rates went negative last time around the millennium. You can see that the Australian dollar, there was the period of, of the Australian dollar falling below 50 cents. So this is also a very powerful driver of the value of the dollar. Uh, so the third one uh, is sentiment. Uh, and this is this chart here is, is the net speculative positioning from the CFTC. Uh, above the line is when sentiment is strong and people are buying a lot of uh, long US dollar contracts and below the line is the the inverse. Um, At the moment we're close to neutral but sort of modestly bullish. Um, So, you know, on this one, uh, this driver at least at the moment, the sentiment, um, Australian dollar you could say is mildly in Mm favour. Sorry, I should just just go back and say on the first two, terms of trade are strongly in favour of a firm dollar. Whereas the interest rate spreads are strongly in favour of a, a weaker dollar, right? This uh, Aussie dollar, I weaker mean, Aussie dollar, not okay. US. Yep. Um, and this third one, of course, is sort of roughly neutral, modestly bullish. Uh, our fourth one there is is technicals, uh, and you know this is more of a short term mover. It's for all the traders out there, but basically it's still relatively bullish as well. The Australian dollar has been rising since early 2016. In a steady channel, it's got an ascend, what they call an ascending triangle breakout underway, which suggests you know possible further upside. Having said that, you know the downtrend, um, the longer term downtrend since 2011 isn't broken either. So uh, you know the Aussie could go somewhat higher yet before actually violating a sort of a more dominant downtrend. But for the time being, that's also bullish. Okay. Uh, and then the fifth driver, when we're talking about the AUD USD, um, is obviously the relative strength of the US dollar. Uh, and at the moment, as we know, that's very weak and has yep. been most of last year uh, and is and still is today. Um, that's captured in this chart where um, I've compared the DXY, which is the US dollar index, which is a basket of currencies versus the US dollar, which gives us a, a glimpse of what its sort of overall um, position is sure. relative, in terms of strength versus the particular strengths and weaknesses of, of that currency versus the AUD. And the blue line is is the contribution of the US dollar to the cross, and the orange lines are the contribution of the local as you can see, the Aussie dollar has had a little bit of strength, but overwhelmed by US dollar weakness in mm-hmm. that far right-hand bar where 
the blue line is dropping much faster than the orange line is rising. Sure. So, in other words, um, this is actually a battle of two-week currencies. Okay. <laughs> um, the, AU dollar, the AUD is deteriorating against the US dollar, but the US dollar is falling faster. Faster, yep, sure. Uh, and if you look at the AUD on the other crosses, you can see that it's uh, uh, like against uh, Euro in particular, um, it's still trending down and has been for for quite some time. So, um, you know, that that's, I guess, a wrap on what we see as the five drivers that input into fair value in any given mo point. Yep. Um, so at the moment, you know, the summation of those five is net bullish. Okay, sure. Um, I think four of the five are bullish. Yep. Um, uh, and, um, you know, the two big ones are the first two, which are sort of relatively offset one another. Okay. Um, in high commodity prices, but, you know, low yield spreads. Yep. Um, so for the time being, um, you know, the, the currency is, is certainly supported um, and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of, um, you know, I guess, turn to a discussion of um, how, how the, the weak US dollar is now determining that path. Okay, sure. So we'll look at the um, the US sort of side of things first. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, we'll come back to, that's sort of, you know, the short-term outlook, I guess. You could say that it's got strength and, and some bullish dimensions. Yep. I'm going to then turn to the outlook in a moment. But first, I want to just kind of wrap up why the US dollar is so weak. Okay. Uh, and, you know, how that will influence the, the weak Aussie of as course. well. Yep, sure. Um, so... You know, there's a, there's a very hot debate going on at the moment on why the US dollar is so weak, given mm -hmm. it's in this rather unusual position of being both the largest funding currency in the world, and by that I mean people tend to borrow in US dollars uh, to, to then distribute capital around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, this is the carry trade from the US into emerging markets. Sure. Um, but it's also in this strange position now of being the high-yielding currency, Mm. where its interest rates are rising, rising yep. faster than anywhere else. So there's this hot debate on why one is overwhelming the other. And at the moment, obviously leading up until last year, the dominant factor was the rising interest rates and mm -hmm. the US dollar was rising. But now, as US growth is really churning along, it's gone the other way and it's falling. Now, my, It's very hard to be definitive about this, but my view is that number one is the is the dominant factor here. That is, strong growth in the US tends to lift all boats. Sure. And, you know, people start chasing risk, and yep. so they take those borrowed US dollars and they just stick them offshore. Okay. In, in, especially in emerging markets. And there's a double uplift when you buy commodities as well. Okay. Because they're priced in US dollars. Yep. They're also very um, associated with emerging markets growth. Yep. Uh, and so you get both a monetary tailwind as the US dollar falls and the commodity price rises and a fundamental tailwind as the emerging markets get stronger. Sure. Okay. Makes sense. Um, but there are other factors. There's the Trump stimulus um, in its various forms and some are arguing that, that it's definitely going to create a long-term weakening fiscal position which may be undermining the, the US dollar at this point. Strength in Japan and Europe 
where you know they're they're sort of further behind the rates curve than the Fed. Okay. Um, personally, I think they're going to stay there, <laughs> um, but there's certainly some capital that thinks that they'll be forced to tighten as well. Um, you know, speculative positioning is chasing this 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 trend really hot. You can see that in all the CFTC data with you know kind of record longs for. Um, for Europe and yep. re- record shorts on the USD. Okay. Uh, and then the fourth one that we thought would be bullish is turning out to be, you know, only mildly so for the US dollar, which is tax repatriation. Um, I might just give give this one to Damo because he's he's been looking at this more closely. Okay. Welcome, Damo. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, David. Look, I think the the key thing with the the tax repatriation is that uh, what what we're seeing is the the, the companies, uh, the, the way the, the legislation has actually evolved is that the companies often already have the cash within the, the US uh, economy. So uh, it, it's not as sort of a matter of saying you've, tra- the, you've made these profits in this uh, Dutch or, or Irish um, sort of entity and the, the money is sitting in that entity and it's going to come back to the US. Because what uh, in, what's happening in many cases is that money is actually already back in the US, uh, in US treasuries or something like that. Basically, the, the way the, the legislation works is that under the old legislation, you couldn't use the money to buy um, back your own shares. You couldn't use the money to stick in your own uh, the, the, the company's bank account. So let's say it's Apple. Uh, they couldn't, couldn't buy back Apple shares. They couldn't use the money to, to stick in the Apple bank account. Uh, they couldn't use the money to pay down Apple debt. But they were fine for that entity to invest in U.S. treasuries or U.S. bonds within the U.S. market. So they're not actually running a, a – um, you know, a lot of the money is already back in the U.S. They're not running sort of currency risk or anything like that. And so now it's just a, a matter of the, um, the, the money being sort of transferred from, from one hand to the other hand, so to speak. And it, it's not a, a sort of a, a big influx of money back into the U.S. by and large. So, so essentially it's, um, it's an accounting – repatriation as opposed to a physical repatriation. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so there will be benefits in terms of that money coming out of uh, probably lower risk assets and going back into either buybacks or, or reducing debt uh, for these companies. But, the, um, but they're not buying but dollars they're not to do that. Yeah, <laughs> buying, yeah. In, okay. in, in general. Sure thing. All right, thanks, Damien. Um, anything else to add on that one or we'll move to the, the next one, David? Uh, we can move on to a bit of a wrap, if you like. Um, um, this is looking forward now, basically, sure. on how these various forces are going to play out uh, in the second half of the year. Um, you know, as the US dollar falls, it's obviously building this incredible boom into the US economy, which, you know, Donald Trump's going to be very happy about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'll now have, uh, you know, quite still quite loose monetary conditions, huge fiscal spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, tax cuts and a crashing currency. Yep. So exporters happy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and you can see all of this playing out, you know, in the in the leading edge of you know the ISMs that are all going nuts, including manufacturing now as the dollar tumbles, um, and it, it also has the tailwind now of shale. Yes. Shale because as the US dollar falls, um, the oil price rises, and that stimulates shale activity as well. Um, so the question is, what, what causes this to reverse? Um, the key for me uh, is that, you know, at the moment we have a, just sort of a wild monetary play on all these 
these trends where the falling US dollar just creates all of these flows into risk assets uh, and you know that then translates into higher markets and actual fundamental growth as well. However, this, this next chart, Chinese broad credit, um, as you can see, it's been slowing and falling now for a good 12 months, and if anything, the slowdown is accelerating. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, China is, you know, 50% of consumption of just about every commodity that you can name. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we've already discussed today, a lot of those commodities are associated with emerging markets and emerging market growth, both as production and consumers. Sure. Um, and we've got this flow of capital out of the US into these emerging markets as well, based on US growth and its monetary effect. However, you have China about to slow. We don't think it's going to fall off a cliff, even though that credit chart looks like it could go the way of 2015 pretty quickly. Yep. Um, if you look within the slowdown, the composition of credit slowing this time is different it's a little less fluffy and a little more like the strength the remaining strengths are more fundamental than they were in 2015 okay um, that is the credit is slowing in areas that are less investment intensive right yep uh, so we definitely see a material slowing but not as bad as 2015 but slow enough for it to damage sentiment and real growth in emerging markets and economies okay and so obviously this is going to uh, clash headlong with the current rush um, out of US dollars and into emerging markets. So the second half basically we see going from this one-way flow of US capital outwards yep. to uh, you know the monetary effect of that um, tailwind hitting the headwind of fundamentals. Okay. As Chinese growth... Slows, slows yep. and pulls down emerging markets. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so the question is, what happens then? I mean, you still have a, an outrageous US boom, but at the same time, a lot of it is temporary because mm-hmm. a lot of it is stimulus-based. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, by mid-year markets, I'm sort of starting to look forward at 2019, yep. wondering what's happening with US growth, and it's very likely to be slowing. Okay. It'll still be good, but... Um, likely to be slowing as the Fed tightens. Uh, and so there's a reasonable argument to make there that the US dollar will falling will have run its course mm-hmm. uh, and may well turn around. That's the first impact of these forces. The second one, of course, is that um, the Chinese slowing will play out in individual ways and in individual currencies, and it will be particularly harsh on the Australian dollar. Mm. Um, that means... Well, the reason for that, if we go, if we think back to our first chart as one of the primary drivers of the value of the dollar in terms of trade, yes, it will fall a lot, or it should fall a lot as China slows, as iron ore and coke and coal correct. Yep, sure. Uh, and so that's a that's the primary driver keeping the Australian dollar high at the moment, and it should come off fairly materially through the second half. This assumes, of course, China doesn't immediately re-stimulate. Yep, and fire it but, back up again. <laughs> but it would be silly of it to do so, given you know it's surrounded by improving global conditions, and it is actually an opportunity for it to rebalance. Yep. 
rather than take further financial risk and ramp up credit again. Sure. Um, so assuming China persists with that path, and all the signs are that it is at the moment, um, then bulk commodities should come off. And at that point, your fundamental support for the Australian dollar will weaken dramatically. Mm. Now, that's going to weaken into the crashing yield spreads. Okay. Which is, as we were, we were talking about earlier, um, you have... Uh, it's an interesting uh, new, new paradigm that we see ourselves in. Yeah, well, I mean, this plays out in this last chart um, where you have um, the yield spreads is the orange line um, and the AUD US dollar is the blue line. Now, uh, if you look at that chart closely, you'll see in trend terms they have always followed one another. Like the terms of trade, they've, they haven't... Uh, you know, the degree of relationship has ebbed and flowed, but the relationship's never broken. Sure. They've always followed each other in terms of trend. And, and, and what you mean by that, David, is that when the, the spreads are high, so you can the interest rates are much higher in Australia than what they are in the US, that the Aussie dollar's high and, and vice versa. When the when the spreads are very low, that, that that's when the, the Aussie dollar versus US falls. So they move in lockstep, essentially. Correct. Up they until, do. Um, that is until two years ago. Yep. The first time since the float of the Aussie dollar, the two started to diverge in trend terms. Mm. Uh, and that was when um, the, uh, the US dollar kept going up for a little bit, but, a bit, but it started to show a bit of weakness. But more importantly, Chinese stimulus uh, just revved up Australia's terms of trade much more than anyone else's because it was very focused on, on building infrastructure and housing. Which is what so, we supply. Yeah, so it was <laughs> iron ore and coal. So the point... The point is, if you take out that commodity support, you are left with the crashed spreads. Yep. Okay. And so if those two things come together, because those spreads are probably going to continue to deepen, like go further negative, as the Fed tightens and the RBA doesn't, Yep. Um, then you, you're creating a recipe for a very rapidly falling Australian dollar. Mm. Fascinating. Uh so, you know, if that were to also combine with a turn in the US dollar, then it'd be very swift indeed. Um, but basically, this is why why we've sort of coined this discussion as the year of two halves, where you have a strong Australian dollar trying to fall mm. through the first half, but held up by the US dollar oh, US. and yep. commodity prices. Yep. Uh, but slowing China, changing that formula and dynamic through the second half. Uh, and triggering, you know, material falls in the Aussie. Yep. Okay. And it's worth noting as well, uh, you know, some of that some of that weakness in the US dollar is, which is the the part where there's been a lot of debate about, it, which is quite confusing at the moment. You know, what what David's sort of expressed and and we're sort of playing in the portfolio is it's it's really a, a tug of war between two forces. One is investment out of the US, mainly into EMs, a little bit into Europe, but mainly into EMs. And the second part is the higher yields in the US uh, attracting cash back in and the, and the higher growth rates and higher inflation sort of flowing through to those higher interest rates that, that, that attracts money back in. And so at the moment, it's been that EM's been the winner, that the, the, the money's been headed out. Yep. Um, uh, but if at, at a certain stage, if yields rise to a certain level, and especially if China does slow, then we see that reversing as well. So that's, that's what David's talking about. And, and there's not a good... We don't have a, a date 
you know, unfortunately for you, for you on that. It, and, it and, is and, tough. And a time, yeah. <laughs> it's not something where you and, and and as David said, you know, when it turns, it's going to turn quickly. And so it's not the type of thing you can say, yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. I could see where that that this is likely. Um, you know, give me a call on the day and I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll adjust the portfolio. Yeah, exactly. I'll <laughs> stick some money in and, and off we'll go. Type thing. This is the type of thing. Unfortunately, you just have to set your portfolio up for. And um, because because they are they are the, there is this tug of war going on, and when things change, um, you know we do expect them to, to flip quite suddenly. Yep, yep, fantastic. More to the point, and active management <laughs> as well. Okay, so um, so I guess just as a, as, a, as an overall outlook, and I'll uh, hand back over to David, but we'll just forewarn Damien. We'll be looking at some um, investment impacts and allocation uh, thoughts as well at the end. There, um, in a nutshell, I guess. Um, David, you, you, you're saying essentially we've got the the, the, the um, prospect of the US levelling off, perhaps over the next over time. It, the weakening is going to sort of effectively be stemmed. Is that is that uh, in, yeah, the, in the short term? As, as we're I think about? so. I mean, uh, uh, the, the recent volatility is interesting here as well because you know I think partly what triggered um, the last few weeks of volatility in the stock market. Is the falling U.S. dollar is it's clearly threatening to overheat the U.S. Sure, and uh, and so that's sending yields up really sharply, uh, and so you know um, there's a dynamic here where um, as, as if the U.S. dollar keeps falling, at a certain point it just simply sends yields too high too quickly, and the stock market comes off, and se- and then capital rushes back into the U.S. dollar. In a safe haven trade, sure. Yep. So there's a sort of ebb and flow where, you know, at some point, that'll simply turn. So it'll s- sort of self-stabilise, perhaps to a degree. Yeah, and uh, there's some of that going on. I'm not sure if we're there yet. Um, you know, obviously, since then we've had nothing but, but buying frenzy in everything, um, in, uh, except bonds. So you know, yields are going to new highs, and nobody cares. Yep. Even though last week it was the end of the world. <laughs> Um, such as markets. And so, uh, nonetheless, you know, the appearance of that dynamic, you know, of the tension between bond yields and stocks presents a a conundrum for the US dollar falling, Mm. um, which will mitigate those falls, I would think, over time. Sure. Um, I don't know if it's finished falling, but, you know, at some point, I think it will, and if it's that, it's China. If it's it's China that does it, or it's actually the US just slowing itself. Yep. Okay. That does it, um, and it happens a bit later in the year, or the prospect of that slowing. Okay. Um, as the Fed's forced to tighten harder than anyone expects. Um, so, so yes, I would say it's closer to the bottom than otherwise. I'd I, I'd be surprised if the Aussie can rise above its recent peak at 81 and a half. Okay, yep. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, what are we? We're in Feb. Um, there's there's definitely uh, confusion coming out of China because of its winter shutdown regime. Sure. Um, which has muddied the data, mm-hmm. especially around bulk commodities, which are the key. Uh, and... You know, shutting down the steel mills has left people wondering what's that going to do with the early year year build yep. of stock, and will that be forced to roll further into the year? And you know, then that would support commodity prices longer because steel prices will stay up. There's a lot of confusion around that. But this is why I sort of say mid-year 
might be the the trigger before it sort of becomes uh, apparent. Yep. Yeah, and, because and, that's and when the I would expect it to be clear in Chinese data that it's slowing. But sure. but at the same time, Q2 is a very reliable seasonal down period for bulk commodities. Wow. Okay. Uh, you know the the sort of April through June three months is very poor okay. for, for iron ore. And coking coal, and and uh, we've sort of mentioned in previous uh, presentations about the inventory levels. Do you think they're yeah, elevated, look, elevated that, inventory levels? That's right, and that's where it becomes you know potentially kind of overshoot um, areas where you know if if China does slow enough to liquidate some commodity inventory, yep, then uh, you know that will overshoot commodity prices to the downside, mm-hmm. um, and that's a plausible scenario later in the year. Um, but uh, you know you don't even need to go there to really sort of acknowledge that these bulk commodity prices are going to fall. Yep. Um, so you know it's a question of when all these various, the, as Damien put it, this tug of war, who wins what at which stage. Um, I mean it's impossible to know. His point is absolutely the right one. Yep. You can't put a date on it. You simply got to set yourself up for it. Yep. For what you see coming. Yeah, sure. And it it will inevitably, of course, go completely differently, and you won't know, you know, what's gonna gonna come when. Mm. But um, the overall thesis is is strong. Is it is the falling dollar is almost a certainty? Uh well, you can't, nothing's well, a certainty in these things. But <laughs> it, but it's you know it's. It's a it's, it's a, a lot very of supporting good, evidence. It's a very good argument. Yeah, sure. Okay, very good. Yeah. And uh, on the topic of setting up things, um, I'll hand over to Damien just to give us a little bit of insight on um, what Nucleus Wealth is doing in, in in terms of our portfolios, both locally and abroad. Yeah, sure. So, so the the issue I have is um, I wish the US was cheaper relative to Europe. <laughs> sure. Um, so so what we have been doing since about March uh, last year is. Is holding quite a quite a large amount of uh, European equities, uh, with the view that you know that the, there was a this push back into the um, into the into the euro, and that um, we could get exposure, much cheaper exposure in Europe, and, and sort of benefit from uh, not having to buy stocks that were as expensive. As the year progressed, uh, yeah, as the year progressed, what we tried to do is get more and more US exposure as as the sort of boom, as this sort of Trump boom, and and the, and the likelihood. Um, sort of kept kept ticking along. Uh, what we tried to do was find U.S. stocks that were listed in in Europe, um, or, or stocks with meaningful U.S. exposure that were listed in Europe, so yep. we could actually get a get a, a um, get part of the boom without having to pay up for the prices of it. So effectively, just tapping U.S. demand in it, cheaper markets. In cheap, exactly. Sure. So, so now the question is, you know, that we, you know, here we are, and 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 then late in the year we we sort of sold down a lot of our. Uh, holdings and and sort of we're holding a fair bit of cash at the moment. So the question sort of here going forward is saying, well, you know, do you go ahead and deploy this cash, or or, or you know, or is it um, or is it time to sort of go to the bunkers and and the markets have risen enough, and we're sort of still trying to walk this line about saying, well, we want to have enough exposure to to, to markets that uh, if the boom goes on for another six twelve months or or, or or a little bit longer, that we're not sort of behind the. Uh, so sort of too far behind, <laughs> yep, yeah. Sure. And, and and things will, you know, other things will change, and you don't want to be sort of left, um, left sort of uh, underexposed. Um, but but on the flip side is uh, our, our trends are clearly headed in one direction. We think they're probably going to take you know twelve to eighteen months at least to play out, and sure. so um, you know they sort of all lead towards having a uh, uh, you know more cash, more bonds, and um, 
and more international assets and and you don't want to be sort of stuck in the position where we've been sort of suggesting these trends are happening but um, not actually preparing not for actually them. prepared for them exactly <laughs> and and so something you know you get a few shocks and all of a sudden um, you know the, the rug gets pulled out and, and and things head the way we wanted we expected them to is we sort of we need to have our portfolio set up for that perspective so at the moment um, if the US was cheaper we'd probably be buying the US on on, on, on average yep. uh, Unfortunately, the U.S. market still is quite expensive uh, relative to Europe, and so we're still trying to sort of dig the the best we can out of Europe and and Japan and and some of these other peripheral um, countries. I think getting the exposure, uh, still trying to, we're still on the path of trying to get that exposure to the U.S. Uh, we do think, uh, you know, as David has mentioned, you know, the euro has run pretty hard, particularly against the U.S. and, and but also against the Aussie dollar. So so you picked up sort of some currency gains on that. And now we're sort of trying to roll out of those and find com- you know, uh, companies elsewhere where we can actually um, sort of protect some of, or sort of realise some of those gains and 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 um, but but sort of stay with this uh, this boom going forward. Okay. Um, and as as I said, you know, a lot of this is is coming down to timing, and uh, it's it's not something it's something where these things are going to move a lot faster than than you expect, and so it is about that. Um, as as the year goes on, we'll just be slicing a little bit more and, and protect, you know, a little bit more protection. Take a few profits here, take a few profits there, and with the idea that we will we'll, our portfolio will will be largely in, in place when we when we do see the uh, the slowdown start to start to really hit. Okay, sure. And and just finally, I think um, it's probably uh, we'll have a quick look, you know, based on the theme of today, uh, perhaps investing locally. So obviously, we do invest locally, as much as it sounds like we're <laughs> trying to steer yeah. clear of it. Yeah. Um, is, what, are there any sort of themes or sectors or anything that you're looking at to potentially, um, you know? You apply this uh, this overall feeling of the falling dollar in in, in the local market. Yeah, so lo- locally is tough. Um, you know, depending upon our which which asset allocation portfolio, which tactical asset allocation portfolio we have, we we have sort of limits on on um, we can't buy less, you know, because we we, we can't buy less than fifteen percent, say, in in our uh, growth portfolio, fifteen percent um, Australian Australian equities, equities yep. because uh, you know it, it's a it's a portfolio for an Australian investor, it's a it's a growth portfolio. There's a um, There's a long, long-term element to it as well. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, uh, most most people have Australian dollar liabilities going forward, so there's, there's sort of that part. Uh, it's really been a struggle to, to find um, things that – and we invest in large caps as well. So yeah, that's, that's well, our that's other that's constraint. Yeah. So, so we're constrained <laughs> by large caps. And so most large caps are either banks uh, or banks and financials make up sort of 40-something percent of the market – uh, resources, sure. uh, property, so the three sort of key areas that we, we don't particularly like are the three biggest parts of the market. It would be frustrating, I'm and, sure. And so we're basically anything else. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anything else that's not horrendously expensive. Um, we've been sort of quite uh, – we've had a, had a big play on foreign um, – on, on companies with foreign um, – Income. Income, yep. yep. And, and companies that, that have operations overseas. Uh, most of those are very expensive. And uh, it's very hard for us to buy any more of those, and we're just sort of slicing a little bit off the top every now and again from from some of the most expensive ones of those. Sure. Okay. But but yeah, the 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 trick for Australia, for for me is is trying to avoid the blobs, um, rather than trying to particularly chase uh, the winners. So the winners, because yeah. we don't think there's going to be too many winners, um, you know, as as this comes as this plays out, and so it's more just uh, more just about protection. It does it does front. sort of seem to be an exceedingly um, crowded market. The um, the dollar exposed industrial and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort of absolutely play. just just getting so expensive. 
And, and it is worth noting as well, actually, for um, we do get a lot of uh, a lot of people who, especially expats, who are sort of looking at um, they've got money overseas and talking about when is the right time to to bring the money back to Australia and 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 you know Aussie dollar high and low and then and then but then the thought, well, if we're if they're going to bring it back and and, and give it to nucleus and, and we're going to go and uh, invest it straight into international stocks, is that they're, they're paying both sides of a of a, of a currency Can translation. Yep, sure. And so it is just worth noting that we can actually take that money straight into, so we can take US dollars, for example, or, or, or pounds or, or euros straight into the um, investment portfolio. So there's not actually, you're not doing any trans- transaction. We're just using that money to, to straight go and buy the stocks within that, um, which does save you that, that sort of double uh, double effect. And also we Absolutely. trade at wholesale rates on the on the currencies. So that's obviously a, a, um, a big saving as well for, for people who are looking at... Um, Money overseas, looking at this Aussie dollar, you know, do I bring my money back? Don't I bring my money back? When's when's the right time? Um, you know, it's so effectively you can have an international uh, investments uh, house overseas in your name, but with an Australian investment manager. Absolutely, <laughs> very good. Okay, so look, we'll finish up there. Uh, thank you very much to to David, our chief strategist, and uh, Damien, our head of investments for. Uh, your your fabulous words there, and uh, certainly a lot to think about. I think there's the, the recurring theme of China can giveth and then China can taketh away seems to be quite common through um, through the the thoughts for the Australian dollar. We will move on just quickly to a little bit about us. Um, so of course, Nicholas Wealth and the Macro Business Fund was put together to help uh, you give, get access to quality, well-researched stock analysis and superior macroeconomically minded asset allocation. Uh, we use technology to help us provide a service typically only available to high net worth and sophisticated investors at a fee level that rivals the more basic solutions available to investors. Uh, we do this using our separately managed accounts, which allows clients to enjoy unparalleled transparency on what they own and why. It also means that each client effectively owns their own separate and discrete share portfolio, as we mentioned, managed by us, and we can accept foreign uh, currencies. Uh, We've partnered with Linear Asset Management, who are backed by the ANZ Bank for Cash Management, and JP Morgan, one of the biggest banks in the world, as custodian of your assets. Uh, We feel this structure is the gold standard for your asset protection. Uh, we do also offer uh, 19 separate uh, screens, uh, ethical screens, that you can use to help tailor your investment uh, to ensure your money is being used to support companies that deal in areas and practices that you feel are important. Uh, by eliminating the areas, by eliminating sorry, only the areas uh, that are important to you, uh, you keep the potential for higher returning areas that you might otherwise be ambivalent about, uh, and uh, these are typically ruled out in your broader ethical products available in the market. Finally, the name Nucleus comes from our ability to provide core holdings of a client's portfolio, allowing them time to explore areas that may be of interest or they may have experience in. We also offer a complete investment solution for those who don't have the time to coordinate their own investments. Our investment team has decades of experience in world markets and we have access to a global team of stock analysts. By removing the layers of fees of middlemen that sit between your money and the markets, we have been able to reduce our fees and provide unparalleled transparency in the solution we provide. So for more information on what we can do for you, please call 1300 623 or contact us at www.nucleuswealth.com. Coming up next, so next week, uh, stay tuned for Nucleus Insights 2018 to 2028, where to invest for Australia's lost decade. Really looking forward to this one, uh, especially given the, um, I guess, the the stagnant wage uh, that we've had, inflation that we've had, and 
uh, the prospect of lower interest rates uh, and also, of course, the, the housing boom coming off over the next few years. So uh, same bat time, same bat channel, uh, Thursday the 22nd of Feb at 12.30. And if you'd like to register your interest, head over to proton.nucleuswealth.com and uh, book yourself in so we can send out some emails and reminders. Fantastic. Um, and just finally, thanks for attending, of course. Um, please complete the survey uh, if you have uh, registered for your attendance uh, that we send out. Obviously, it gives us a bit of feedback on today, uh, how we've gone, and uh, also you can provide some insight into um, some areas that you'd like us to um, have a chat about and do some research on. So feel free to uh, please flick an email through, or you can also uh, talk directly uh, send a message through to webinar at nucleuswealth.com as well. So on that note, thanks very much uh, for, your, for your listening today and we look forward to catching you at the next one. Cheers. <laughs>